Any other Keith Green fans out there? Yeah, we kind of date ourselves, don't we? But um, if you're not familiar with uh, that man and his ministry, um, I'd encourage you to pick up his biography. It's called No Compromise, and uh, just a, a passion soul uh, who, whose life was cut short from a human perspective in a plane crash uh, with a number of his children and left his wife in uh, just a, a sad, tragic ending to a life with tremendous potential. But in the time, the short span of time that he was on this earth, he made a radical impact for Jesus. And um, he's somebody that you all should be aware of. And uh, so if nothing else, Google search him, okay? And just read the Wikipedia thing on him, just so you know who this guy was. And uh, he's somebody that uh, we all can be impacted by. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this past Friday was Valentine's Day, which is the day our society has set aside every year to express our love to that someone special. Uh, Roses were everywhere, chocolates, sentimental cards, fancy dinner dates, cuddly teddy bears. These are just a few of the ways people demonstrated their love for each other this past weekend. But as fun and romantic and, might I add, expensive as Valentine's Day can be, how we show our love to others the other 364 days of the year, I think has a whole lot more to do with cultivating intimacy in relationships than what we do on Valentine's Day. For example, strong, healthy marriages aren't founded upon an annual gift of flowers or chocolates, but on daily expressions and demonstrations of love for one another. The same is true for relationships within the body of Christ, with the people that you're sitting with here this morning. Throughout the New Testament, Christians are exhorted to love one another. Let me just remind you of some of the exhortations that we find in the New Testament These are the words of Jesus, John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Romans 12.10, we're going to be there shortly. Romans 12.10, Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, Paul said, May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And then later in that same letter, he said in chapter 4, verse 9, Now as to the love of the brethren, we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13:1 says, Let love of the brethren continue. And then Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, said, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And so we're clearly called to, to love one another. But practically, what does that look like? Well, the Bible is filled with instructions and illustrations about love, but there is one passage that stands out as the supreme instruction or illustration of love in the entire Bible, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
verses 4 through 7. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you're not already there, and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you have been a Christian for any length of time, in fact, you may not even be a Christian here this morning, and I would guarantee that you have heard this passage before. You've heard it somewhere, you've seen it somewhere. Uh, This is a very well-known passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Now, I stood in Walmart for quite some time this last week, as many of you did, or Walgreens or Kroger or wherever you went to get your card for your special someone, whether your spouse, your kids, you know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, uh, your dog, I don't know. But uh, whoever you got that card for, you may have been like me reading through Sentiment after sentiment after sentiment, and nothing that I read comes remotely close to how precious and how powerful these words are in 1 Corinthians 13. Obviously, they're inspired by the Spirit. That helps, right? Not from some person writing, you know, for day spring or... Hallmark, um, th- these are the words of God, the very words of God. And it, this is without question the most beautiful description of true love that has ever been written. And I would also add, this is also the most practical description of true love that has ever been written. And I say that because it's one thing to tell someone you love them, but it's another thing to show them. In other words, it's not enough to say to someone, I love you. You need to prove it by your actions. We all say that actions speak what? Louder than words. And in this passage, Paul teaches us how to act out our love for one another. He, He shows us what love looks like in action. Now, before we dive into this, let me take a moment just to set these four verses in their proper context, because I think too often this passage, maybe more than any other passage in the New Testament, has been ripped out of its context and explained merely as this flowery description of love. But in order to understand the richness of of the love described here, it must be viewed in light of who it was written to originally and where it is in this letter. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, which as you know, probably, uh, I'm assuming you know this, that that, uh, this was a church that had lots of problems. They they were squabbling among themselves, they were acting immaturely, they were committing immorality, they were suing each other, they were depriving their spouses of sexual intimacy, they were offending one another, there were women who were acting discreetly and usurping male authority, Uh, they were actually getting drunk at the communion service. Imagine that. 
Uh, and and they, uh, at this point in the letter, they were abusing their spiritual gifts. And that's what Paul was addressing in chapter 12, was the use of spiritual gifts. And in fact, notice verse 30, all do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I show you a still more excellent way. In other words, in light of their one-upmanship of, hey, I can speak in tongues, and hey, I can prophesy, and hey, you know, I can interpret, uh, and they were, they were kind of showing off. He says, well, let me show you a more excellent way. Verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, those of you that think you're something special because you can, you know, speak in tongues and, and even the tongues of angels, whoever knows what that is, but you don't love others, your speaking in tongues is nothing but a, a, a noisy gong, a, a clanging cymbal. This monotonous, irritating sound. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Those of you that have the gift of prophecy, he's saying, and, and you know all these mysteries and you have, you have all this knowledge and all this um, maybe theological information and, 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 and really strong in faith uh, in your prayers, but you don't love others, you're nothing. Verse 3, and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me Nothing. You could be the most benevolent, generous person and give all sorts of money to charity. But if you don't love other people, it benefits you nothing. You could even be a martyr. You could surrender your body to the flames. You could be burned alive for the cause of Christ. But if you don't love other people, it profits you nothing. So what Paul says here in these next four verses, verses four, five, six, and seven, are not only sandwiched within his teaching on spiritual gifts, because by the way, notice um, verse 13, the end of this chapter, chapter 13, verse 13, but now faith, hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Verse four, chapter 14, verse one, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So... The, this little uh, description of love here in chapter 13 is sandwiched within his teaching on spiritual gifts, but it also comes after he's addressed all these problems in the church. And I think we can learn something initially from this, and that is that every problem that any church faces can be traced back to a lack of love. And you could apply that to your marriage, by the way. You can apply that to your family. You can apply that to your workplace, right? That you can trace every problem that's going on in any of those contexts to a lack of love. And so Paul addresses this, this issue that was lacking. 
This kind of love that he describes was lacking in the church in Corinth. And what he gives us here is not a comprehensive list of, of the attributes of love, but a corrective list of the attributes of love that were most needed to help this church that was being, a torn, being torn apart by loveless behavior. Here was a group of people who were at each other's throats and Paul knew that the solution for all their problems was true love. And so again, I want to get you to think beyond just the four walls of this church. This applies to your marriage, it applies to your families, it applies to any context where you are in relationship with other people. And if you find yourself in a context where you're being torn apart by loveless behavior, then this morning you're going to see the solution. It's love. And that word love there in verse 4 is the word agape, which, uh, again, you're familiar with that word, I'm sure. Uh, This was not the common Greek word for love. Um, There were several words in the Greek language for love. There's the word eros, which is the romantic uh, sexual love, uh, the love a man has for a woman. Uh, There's storge, which is a natural affection that a father would have for a son, a parent to a child. Then there's phileo, which is the brotherly affection that a friend has for a friend. But in the New Testament days, Christians didn't think any of those words that they had to work with accurately described the type of love that God had shown man by sending his son to die on the cross. And so they came up with a a new term. They coined this word agape, which in their minds was the highest form of love. It was way beyond the other types of love. This was an unconditional, sacrificial commitment to meet the needs of others. And what sets agape love apart from every other kind of love is that it's not an emotion. It's an action. It's not something that we feel. It's something that we do or don't do. And I find it interesting that the the various attributes here of love in Paul's list, while they've been translated into English as adjectives, love is patient, love is kind, in the original Greek, you ready for this? They're all verbs. And if you remember what you learned from Schoolhouse Rock growing up, verb, now that's a what? An action. A verb is an action. And so what we see here are not just adjectives describing love, but we have actions that demonstrate love. In fact, we have 15 actions here that demonstrate true love. And you're already like, oh no, we're in for a long sermon. If there's 15 points, better settle in here, put my seatbelt on, right? Well, they're short and relatively quick, and so I think we can get through these this morning without much trouble. But the point is this, that if we truly love someone, this is how we will act toward them. Whether that's your spouse, your family member, your neighbor, a fellow believer, which is, again, the context of this list of 
actions. So what are these 15 actions that demonstrate true love? Hopefully you got a a sermon note sheet there because it'll save you time writing these all down, right? Uh, If you missed one, you can feel free to jump up and go get one. There might be some left on the back table. That's okay. Go for it. But let's talk about these one at a time. Number one, if you truly love someone, you will act patiently toward them. Love is patient or long-suffering or long-tempered. In other words, love has a long fuse. In other words, it takes a, a long time before you get angry and blow up. You're not a firecracker with a short, you know, little one where you go like that, right? You've got this long fuse, like miles long, and it takes forever, right, to get you to the point where you'll, we're going to blow up with the one you love. To be patient means that you have the capacity to be wronged over and over again and not retaliate. And even when you have the ability and the opportunity to get back at somebody, you don't. You let it go. You restrain yourself. When you're faced with offenses and injuries from other people, you tolerate the unpleasant character traits and treatment of others. Whenever I think of patience, I think about that that loyal golden retriever dog, right? Or you know, just, just, and, and, and just takes all sorts of abuse from the little kids in the house, right? They're, they're pulling on his ears and they're dragging him around by his collar and they're teasing him and they're even being mean to him at times, but he never growls. He never bites back, even though he could. He, but he, whenever the kids show up, what does he do? He greets them with a wagging tail and a licking tongue. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. He said, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Alexander Strzok wrote an excellent book called Leading with Love. I would recommend it to everyone to read, even though it's targeting church leaders. It would be great for moms and dads to read, leading your children with love. But listen to what he said. He said this, quote, God himself is a supreme example of patience or long-suffering. When we are tempted to be impatient with others, we should stop and think about the gracious long-suffering of God with us and our many wrongs against him. In light of his patience towards us, who are we to think that we cannot patiently bear with the weaknesses and failures of others or the wrongs they may have done to us? And so love is patient. And so we should act patiently. Number two, we need to act kindly. We need to act kindly. Love is kind. Which, by the way, is the only time this word is used here. Anywhere in the New Testament, it comes from the root word meaning useful. And so if we love someone, we're going to be useful to them. In other words, we we do things that are helpful and meaningful to them. We, We willingly put ourselves at their disposal. This is really the flip side of patience. It's the other side of the coin of of patience. You're patient. In other words, you 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 don't do certain things but then you're kind, you actually do certain things. 
You, you don't just not pay back evil, but you actually pay back evil with good. You, you don't just uh, not let their evil overcome you, but you actually overcome their evil with good. Romans 12 talks about that. With good and gracious acts, like maybe a caring card or a thoughtful phone call or an invitation to lunch or, or to dinner or expressing interest in, in, in something that you know is a concern to other people. Jesus taught us how to love not just the lovable, but our enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 27, I say to you who here, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want to treat them to treat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. Anybody can love someone who, who loves them, but only a child of God can love their enemy. In fact, this Passage climaxes, love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He Himself is, what? Kind to grateful and evil men. And so we need to act patiently, we need to act kindly, and then Paul turns to the negative here, and the next eight attributes or verbs, if we were in the original language here, are, are the don't side of things. So we're going to look at eight things we're not to do. And the third thing here is don't act jealously. Love is not jealous. Literally, that word means to boil. And it's the idea of this selfish passion within us that is stirred up by the gifts or the possessions or the successes or the opportunities or the positions that others enjoy. And it's not only wishing that you had what others have, but it's ultimately not wanting them to have it either. And so there's this angry feeling you get when someone does something better than you can do it or they get the promotion, they get the attention, they get the applause. So the question is, do you get jealous over someone who owns more than you, or is more attractive than you, or has a better job than you, or appears to have a better marriage than you, uh, more obedient children than you, yours are to you, uh, who's more eloquent, smarter, thinner, they have nicer clothes, they drive a more expensive car, they have more friends than you. They get better grades than you. Do you get jealous of any of these things? Well, we know the Bible is filled with examples of how jealously destroys relationships. You've got the first relationship in the Bible, I guess, second only to Adam and Eve, and that's Cain and Abel. And Cain was jealous of his brother 
And we know how that ended. It ended in murder, him him murdering his brother. How about Joseph and his brothers? His brothers were jealous of of him and they ended up wanting to kill him, but they ended up selling him off to slavery and dividing that family. And you think about Saul's jealousy towards David and what that ended up. That ended up in Saul's demise. And of course, you've got the example of the Pharisees' jealousy towards Jesus, which by the way, was all a lack of love. Cain did not love Abel. Joseph's brothers did not love him. Saul did not love David. The Pharisees definitely did not love Jesus. In fact, they hated Jesus. And so don't act jealously. Number four, don't act boastfully. Love does not brag. That word literally means puffed up or inflated. I guess we could say it this way. Don't be a windbag. You know what a windbag is? It's It's somebody that just talks about themselves all the time. They're just bragging about their accomplishments or they're tooting their own horn, trying to make themselves seem superior to everyone around you. They always have to kind of one-up you on a story that somebody told. Well, yeah, well, I did this, and right? He's saying, listen, don't don't parade around seeking attention and recognition. Don't don't promote yourself. Don't be the hero of all your own stories. Don't always insist on being the center of attention. Because we all know nobody likes to be around people who brag about themselves. We typically, when we're in that setting, we're like, man, I wish that guy would just go away. Or I wish I could go away right now. Because this is not fun. This is not helpful. This is not edifying. This isn't about anybody but them. And that's essentially what bragging communicates to others is that we love ourselves more than we love them. Whereas on the other hand, I think one of the easiest ways to show love for someone is to let them talk about themselves. In fact, get good at asking a lot of questions. Showing a genuine interest in them and keep the focus of the conversation on them. And I guarantee you, they're going to walk away and think you're a brilliant conversationalist. And you didn't say a single thing about yourself. You just asked good questions and let them talk. Well, hopefully you did that out of love. That you truly are more interested in them than you are in your own self. So don't act boastfully. Number five, closely related to that, is don't act arrogantly. Don't act arrogantly. Love is not arrogant. Now, arrogance is the inner attitude that motivates us to brag. Bragging is the verbalization of arrogance or pride. And again, this word arrogant has the idea of being puffed up like a a pair of bellows. And you're, you're feeling and or acting prideful about where you're at spiritually or looking down your nose on those around you. It's, it's, the, it's the peacock syndrome, right? The peacock, you know, when he gets confronted or when he wants to show off, he just puts out his flume right there and, and just kind of showing off, strutting his stuff. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were acting arrogantly. They were proud of their spiritual gifts. They were, they were spiritual show-offs. And they felt like they had arrived because they could speak in tongues. They were on some higher spiritual plane than those who couldn't speak in tongues. 
And so as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, that we are to have with humility of mind, consider others more important than yourself. It's, in other words, this is the heart issue. It's a heart issue that we should have a humble mind or a humble heart. So don't act arrogantly. Number six, don't act rudely. Don't act rudely. It says love is not rude or does not act unbecomingly, indecently, inappropriately, in a, in a disorderly fashion, in a shameful manner. In other words, love doesn't act in a way that, that, that causes embarrassment to yourself or to those around you. That doesn't count with your kids, though. When your kids are at a certain age, like you have the power of embarrassment over them, right? You're like, hey, all I have to say, I can just say this or do this right now in the mall, and I own you, okay? The kids start running away and acting like they don't know you, right? So that's why my kids don't teach me certain words or certain dance moves, because I know I'll pull them out in the worst possible place, and I'll embarrass them. But that, so that doesn't count. I love my kids. That's why I do that to them, because I really love them, but... Generally speaking, right, don't embarrass the person that you say you love. Not in an evil, intentional way, at least. Don't act rudely. Act courteously in an orderly fashion. I mean, this is, again, this is like, listen, if you love someone, have good manners with them. Don't, don't have bad manners. Don't be rude. And, and uh, you know, rude, rude people... I mean, their attitude is like, I could care less if what I'm doing bothers you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever I want, whether you like it or not. That's rude. Um, we've all been uh, in some waiting room with that person with their cell phone, right? <laughs> it's just rude. It's like their thing goes off and it's like turned to DEFCON 10 or whatever their, their alarm is or their, 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 aunt, their ringtone and it gives everybody a heart attack in the place to begin with, and then they get on the phone and they start having a conversation with everybody else in the waiting. And you're like, what is that guy's problem? I mean, it's just like rude. Can you like either just lower your voice or maybe take it outside or something? You're just like, don't act rudely. Number seven, don't act selfishly. Love does not seek its own, verse five. Don't insist on your own rights. Don't always try to get your way. Love does not just think or care about itself. Again, that's what the Corinthians were struggling with here. They were exercising their Christian liberties without any regard for how it might affect those around them. They're like, hey, if I want to eat meat offered idols, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it anyway. Paul was saying, hey, listen, if you, if you know that might offend your brother or cause him to stumble, man, then don't do it. You need to be thinking. You need to love other people more than you love yourself. So Paul was challenging them here to, to care more about the concerns of the body than their own personal concerns. And the bottom line is this, love thrives in an atmosphere where everyone is striving to unselfishly serve everyone else. That's why I love Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Paul said, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, pride, but with humility of mind, consider others more important than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. I mean, if that was the only verse you ever knew and applied, 
in your relationships, whether that be your marriage relationship, your brother-sister relationships in the home, your, your worker-neighbor relationships, your relationships with the body of Christ. I mean, that's all you, do, you would need right there. So don't act selfishly. Number eight, don't act irritably. Don't act irritably. Notice it says, love is not provoked. Love is not provoked. It's not easily irritated. It's not easily offended. You're not touchy. You don't let people get on your nerves or situations make you upset to the point where you lose your cool, you lose your temper. I think this is one of the marks of a, a mature believer is they, they don't get easily offended. They don't get their feelings hurt or their nose bent out of shape over little things. I love Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook a transgression or to overlook an offense. You don't want to be that eggshell Christian. You know what I'm talking about? That person that, that everyone feels like they're walking around in eggshells when they're around them. They got to be very careful what they say, what they do, because that person is so easily set off by just a word said not just the right way or at the right time. And you don't be that person. Don't, don't act irritably. That's not love. That's... The opposite of love. Number nine, don't act resentfully. Don't act resentfully. Notice it says there at the end of verse five, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. That phrase there, take into account, is the idea of a bookkeeper, an accountant. And we all know what they do, right? We all know what bookkeepers do. What, what accounts do they keep track of stuff? That's their job. And so the idea here in Paul's mind is don't, don't be that bookkeeper who keeps a detailed leisure of all the transgressions that people commit against you. That don't, don't keep an itemized list of all the wrongs done that, 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 that others have done against you. Don't, don't keep a record of wrongs that you regularly refer back to and use against that person that you say you love. Don't hold grudges. Don't harbor bitterness or resentment in your heart. We all know that expression, love is blind, right? Well, love is not blind, but it is forgetful. We need to have a hard time remembering injustice, or injury committed against us. You know the old expression, you need to learn to forgive and forget, right? Well, let's face it, there's some things that have been done to us that we will never forget. They'll be with us for the rest of our lives. But we can choose not to hold it against that person, whoever it is that did it against us, or to bring it up and rub their face in it from time to time, I read somewhere that somebody was talking to another person. They said, don't you remember when so-and-so did this to you? Trying to stir up some kind of 
um, resentment in their heart. And they said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. (laughs) That's good. I distinctly remember forgetting that. In other words, I'm making a choice not to bring it up again. Not to bring it up to you, not to bring it up to anyone else, and not even to let my mind bring it up again and dwell on it. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The last of the negatives here, number 10, don't act joyfully about sin. Don't act joyfully about sin. Notice What he says in verse six, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. Which, by the way, if you look back at 1 Corinthians 5, we don't have time to do that, but you'll see that in some ungodly way, the Corinthians were boasting about their sin. There was some sin going on in the church and they weren't addressing it. The point is, love hates sin and grieves over it. It never gloats over another person's sin or failure. It it takes no pleasure in another person's misfortune. It doesn't rejoice even in the downfall of an enemy. Listen, we know that uh, newspapers, not that anybody reads them anymore, but they're still out there. Magazines, news magazines, whatever you want to, the, the stuff, the, the stuff at the, in, in the checkout line at the grocery store, they still got those things cranking, cranking out those, right? Those things and newscasts, they're all watched, they're all looked at because they appeal to our innate desire and joy of reading or hearing evil reports about other people. You're standing in the checkout line going, really? I didn't know that. How interesting. We read a little bit more about that, right? I mean, that's just an innate thing in us that we rejoice. We, we act joyfully about other people's sin. That's not love. On the other hand, number 11, we should act joyfully about the truth. We should act joyfully about the truth. Notice it says it does not rejoice in unrighteous, but love rejoices with the truth. True love sides with the truth. It searches out the truth and rejoices when truth triumphs over evil. And whenever you see the truth taught by a person or lived out in a person's life, the natural reaction of your heart should be one of joy. Look at that. That's awesome. I'm so encouraged. I'm so happy to see that in you. Sometimes the best way to show someone you love them is to confront them about some error in what they're believing or how they're living. Ephesians 4.15 says that we are to speak the truth in what? In love. And in fact, not confronting someone you say you love is actually an act of hate rather than love. For example, parents who say, I just, I just, I just love my kids too much to spank them. Well, the proverb says, Proverbs 13, 14, he who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So an expression of love is sometimes confronting someone about their sin. And if we're unwilling to do that, 
That's a demonstration that we love ourselves or our reputation or our comfort more than we love them. And so love rejoices in the truth. Number 12, act sympathetically. Act sympathetically. Love bears all things. Literally, that word bears means to cover or to cover the faults of others. It, it, it throws a blanket over other people's faults to keep them from being exposed. I love that example back in Genesis where Noah, after coming out of the ark, got drunk with some of the new wine and was in his tent exposed. And the, one of his sons came in and saw his, bro, saw his dad in that embarrassing situation and went out to find his brothers and say, hey guys, check it out. Come, dad's in there drunk and he's naked. And, and, and his two older brothers, remember what they did? They took a blanket and they put it over their shoulders and they backed in and covered their dad. They were sympathetic. They were compassionate towards their dad in his, in his moment of sin. And, and so I think there is a time and a place, not where we brush sin under the rug. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about overlooking, overlooking sin. Seeking to protect people's reputation in the eyes of others. We don't, we don't drag another person's problems out in the open for all to see. We're not, we're not a, an adult tattletale. Hey, did you know so-and-so did this and da-da-da-da did this and you don't? We're not that person. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Proverbs 17, 9, he who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. And then 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers what? A multitude of sins. Again, I'm not... I don't think Paul was expecting, we know this is not what he was saying because he tells us in so many other places, hey, you know, if, if you see some sin in somebody's life, if you're Galatians 6.1, you who are spiritual, right, what do you do? You, you, you seek them out and you seek to restore them. You bear their burden. He's not saying just turn a blind eye to people's sin, but at some point you, you, you bear up with that. Maybe your spouse just continues to sin against you or your kids continue to, to be involved in a certain sinful habit pattern. You bear with them. Why? Because you love them. So you act sympathetically. Number 13, you act loyally. You act loyally. Love bears all things. Love also believes all things. In other words, love believes the best about people. In other words, you don't assume the worst. You don't jump to conclusions. You're not suspicious. You give people the benefit of doubt. You take what people say at face value. You, you demonstrate loyalty to a person when things indicate that they maybe should no longer be trusted. You, you give them the benefit of the doubt. Proverbs 18, 13. Great uh, counsel here. Proverbs 18, 13. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Verse 17, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. In other words, there's always two sides of the same story. 
then if, you're, if you truly love someone, you're not going to be you're going to be real careful to not jump to conclusions. As you see, as soon as you hear something negative about them, you're not going, to go, oh, wow. You're going to, you just say, well, I'll have to wait and see because I've only heard one side of the story. And so again, in love, we withhold judgment until we hear both sides of the story. And in the meantime, we remain staunchly loyal to that person. And if someone comes and says, hey, so-and-so said this or so-and-so did this, and I'm like, you know what? I've never experienced that with that person. They've never said or done that with me. That's uncharacteristic of my experience with them. I'm not saying you're lying. I'm just saying I need to go talk to them and find out what actually happened. Someone said it this way, quote, loyalty is not that you never disagree with me, but if you do disagree, I'm the only one who knows about it. I'm not going to hear about it from someone else. I'm going to hear about it from you. If you truly love someone, right, you're going to take your matter, your grievance, your issue directly to them, not through three or four other people, and then all of a sudden it gets back to them and you find out from other people. Well, you've not demonstrated a love. So if you truly love someone, you're going to go directly to them and talk about it with them rather than talking to others about it. So act loyally, number 14, act optimistically. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things. In other words, love doesn't see the other person for who they are, who they've been, who they are, but what they can and will become. In other words, you have a confidence that, that this person can grow, this person can change. You don't just see the circumstance for what it is, but what it could be in the future. And even though sin may be triumphing in the present, there is a confident expectation that righteousness will prevail in the end, and so you refuse to take failure as final, no matter how bad the situation seems, whether your marriage is a mess or your kid is far from the Lord or you fill in the blank, as long as the grace of God is operative, there is a reason to have hope in all things, that things can change and be different. So love hopes. And then lastly, we need to act tenaciously. Act tenaciously. I love this. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's the word hupomeno, which means to remain under. It's a military term, meaning to bear up under this relentless assault from the enemy. So the idea here is that you persevere in the face of suffering and persecution and hatred and loss and loneliness and pain and deprivation and, and, and unpleasant circumstances and a lack of love shown towards you. It's steadfastness in the face of adversity. Love never gives up. And so this is, um, this is not a passive approach here to loving someone. This is a, a proactive, aggressive attitude that continues to forge ahead even when faced with opposition and obstacles. That's what we mean by Tenacious, right? I love that word, tenacity. It's a great word. It's the will to keep on fighting even when you grow weary and lose heart and feel like quitting. 
Love is tenacious. John MacArthur has written a very helpful book called Perfect Love. And this passage is one of the passages that he addresses in that book. And he points out that these four final attributes of love are connected like links in an unbroken chain. One leads naturally to the next. And this is what he says, quote, love bears all hurts, wounds, sins, and disappointments, covers them with a blanket of silence, feels sympathetic, redemptive, and even bears the pain if it can. Love believes the best about somebody, is never cynical, is never suspicious in spite of the way it's been wounded. And when love's believing is betrayed, love turns to hope because God is still God and he can do anything. And even when hope grows thin and all hope seems lost, love endures. It endures the deep hurt that seems to so final with a triumphant confidence that the God who gives his children peace is still on the throne. He says, you see, love is never overwhelmed. It cares too much to give up. It will die caring. And that's ultimately what makes all of this possible in our lives. Because God cared so much about us that he sent his son to die in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We just learned in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And we need to keep this in mind because this passage about the true nature of love at first glance is overwhelming. Even discouraging. If not seen in the light of the love that God has for us in Christ. Let me try to work this out for us here just in a few minutes as we close. If we're honest, we all fall woefully short when it comes to demonstrating the kind of love that Paul described here in this, in this text, don't we? I mean, all it takes is a bit of self-examination to prove it. I mean, just insert your name in this text. Ken is patient. Ken is kind. Ken is not jealous. Do it with me. Not, not my name, okay, your name. <laughs> the, the point is, put your name in this text. And are these things true of you? And if you're like me, I do that, and I think, man, I fail to love others the way God says I should. But now look what happens when you insert someone else's name in this text. That someone else is Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not jealous. Jesus does not brag and is not arrogant. Jesus does not act unbecomingly. Jesus does not seek his own. Jesus is not provoked. He does not take into account a wrong sufferer. Jesus does not rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never fails.
You see, Jesus is the only one who ever loved perfectly like this. And not only are we exhorted to follow his example, but we are empowered to do so by faith in his triumphant death and resurrection for those of us who were unlovely and unworthy of his love. And so when others seem unlovely and unworthy of our love, the reason we can love them is because we have been loved like this by God through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. And of course, 1 John, we would be remiss if we didn't mention this text, 1 John 4, 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he, what? First loved us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage, which really gives us first and foremost the opportunity to reflect on the great love which you have shown to us by sending your son to pay the penalty for our sin. And we know that Christ's death on the cross was and is truly the greatest act of love in the history of the world. And while we may never have to to literally die for someone, God, we, we can put on display the same kind of love by dying to ourselves and acting towards them in, in the way this passage describes. And God, I would pray that I know there's people in situations and circumstances right now where they're seeking to love, striving to love, people who are difficult to love, And if they were honest today, they would say, I don't feel like loving that person. Would you grant them the grace to choose to love them by faith and trust you that the feelings will follow in time? And Lord, ultimately, I pray that if there's anyone here who has yet to embrace the love of Christ through repentance and faith in his death and resurrection. Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.